ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between, welcome down to another episode of the Jake Botel Football Experience. I almost said edition, but I saved it at the end there. Of course, you'll know that now that I've peeled back the curtain. But welcome down to it. Today, I'm catching up with Minnesota Jack to discuss the Week 16 NFL action and look ahead to Week 17 as we plow our way onwards towards playoff football. Hope that your team is doing well and that you'll have some January football to watch and maybe even a game at the start of February for some of you. Alright, without further ado, let's get into it. The JBFE with Minnesota Jack. And now we welcome into our midst here in the roving studio, a barbarian from the north, Minnesota Jack. Welcome back. How are you, mate? I'm good, thanks. That's very good to hear. Pleasure to have your company in the roving Mm -hmm. studio, though not a moving studio today. We're in a, a fixed location as opposed to a vehicle. So that's nice. But my God, it is hot in here. I am so... Oh, yeah. I am sweating like a pig. Um, can't be all the food I've eaten over the holiday season. Uh, Surely how, not. How has your holidays been? It's been good. It's been pretty relaxed, but that's by design. Kind of taking time off work and just enjoying time with family and having good food and not doing anything. Nice. Enjoying the frivolities of life. Sounds mm-hmm. like a plan. And have you managed to consume some football over that holiday period? A little bit, not as much as I would like. I only watched a, a few games, but um, enough to give myself the need of football that I have. And I hear that you are celebrating a Madden championship. Yes, I got there. I got to the end, so I'm pretty happy about that too. Very good, very good. Well, I haven't uh, touched as much of the Madden recently. Um, I decided that... For the sake of my TV and my controllers, I would take a break, a well mm-hmm. break. Um, yeah, because the frustrations of Coach Jake were mounting. Um, yes. A late Sometimes a break is needed just to yeah, refresh your mind and get back into it. That's right. You've got to walk away. You've got to empty the well so that it can be refilled. Um, mm-hmm. So today I wanted to get into talking a little bit. Obviously, we want to talk about all the the week 17 action that we've got coming up and all the playoff implications from the games. But perhaps there aren't as many playoff implicated games this week as there were last week and week 16 Mm. definitely decided a few fates and threw the cat amongst the proverbial playoff pigeons. Um, So we'll, we'll, we'll choose that as our landing spot. Um, a little bit of news off the top. I don't know if you saw that the New Orleans Saints, it's been reported this morning that they've been working out um, along with a few other receivers. Antonio Brown. I did read that this morning. That's a bit of an interesting development. Good for the Saints if they get him. It is. And uh, obviously I I feel like I really, obviously uh, Frida supports the Saints and I would like to see the Saints win a Super Bowl for that. They've been so close. But I've got to say, some of the personality stuff with the New Orleans Saints really makes it hard to root for. Yeah. Them. This is a team that was fined and had coaches suspended for paying bounties to their players to injure the opposition uh, way back when. Um, and 
this doesn't do anything to help their their case. No, it might even make it worse. <laughs> I think it might. This is a guy, uh, Antonio Brown, who is still being investigated by the NFL under its personal conduct policy. Uh, the lawsuit filed by uh, Brittany Taylor, his former trainer, and she alleges that she was sexually assaulted by Brown on multiple occasions. He's also been accused of sexual misconduct by an artist working in his home in 2017. Obviously, you know, as you would expect, he has denied all those sorts of allegations. Um, but the NFL has not concluded that investigation. And, you know, you just don't know what the, the fallout of this is yet. And I don't understand. Well, I do understand. He's without doubt one of the most talented receivers to have ever stepped on a football field. But the guy's also a total dick. <laughs> it's I, true. And I just, I, I wonder, you know, as New Orleans, it seems already that the football gods are intent on smiting your Super Bowl hopes, you know, happenings mm. like the Minneapolis uh, miracle. And then last year, the, the missed passer um, interference call late in the game against the Rams. Why invoke their wrath anymore? By it's, this- it, it's so interesting just seeing them make that, that choice. And it's not completely settled as of yet, but it seems like it's no. going to happen. So it's just, it's a weird thing to go, you know, where in the playoffs, we've got one of the best teams, not just in the NFC, but in the league. Let's go ahead and give ourselves some potential bad luck. You know, it's, it's just, it's an odd, I can see why, because like you said, he's you know, one of the best wide receivers in the game. But man, it's, I can just see it, you know, turning the other way and they could look back and go, we probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I guess, too, like you say, their offense, it, a part of an article I read this morning on ESPN was saying, you know, you know, this could undoubtedly make their offense, you know, better. And they already are one of the best mm. in the game. You know, they put up 38 points against the Titans last week. They've, they've consistently put up 40-odd points on the 49ers who have been roundly accused of having one of the best defenses in the league. Uh, I, and, you know, I, I think, you know, they, they sort of said, oh, well, he wasn't the only wide receiver we worked out. But when you read through the list of names of receivers that they they worked out, Antonio Brown was the only the only draw card of the workout amongst the half a dozen receivers or however many it was that they, that they worked out. And mm. the comments from Sean Payton were along the lines of, well, you know, we've got to seek clarity from the league as to what would happen if we sign him. Which to me means if we're clear to sign him, we're going to. Yeah. Um, you know, so I don't know. It's, it's a little disappointing. I, I wish more teams would take a stand on this sort of thing. And um, particularly a, a guy who is under investigation. And I understand that people will come and say, oh, well, he's innocent until proven guilty. Fair enough. But maybe wait until he's proved innocent too. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. why, why sign a guy who's currently under investigation? It only, yes, it could make your on-field product better. But look at the, the locker room chaos he could bring Uh-oh. exactly yeah. anyway i think that it's it's just one last point on that i think that is really interesting to think about this isn't madden it's not like you're just going to pop in this you know 90 overall player and it instantly boosts your team like you said this is a real guy and it will be not saying that he's guaranteed to you know not be great in the locker room but there's a real chance that there might be some players on that team who don't want him there you know, and who knows what kind of rifts that could cause. 
So I think they've got to look at the human side of it also and go, yes, he's a great player, but is he the right person to fit with this team? And I guess only time will tell. And as you say, you got to look at the human part of it. And, you know, these are humans that play the game. And, you know, there's a lot of feedback from a lot of other humans in Pittsburgh and in Oakland, um, you know, who can now attest to the sort of human being that they experienced in that time. And it's, it's not like these are isolated incidents. There, were two, mm. there was rumblings of this all through his time in Pittsburgh and in his short stay with the Oakland Raiders and the, the videos that he put out – this just doesn't seem like a stable guy to be bringing into your team. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm very much nonplussed by this, but I, I thought it was worth covering mm-hmm. um, because it is significant news. But let's move on from Antonio Brown, and I wish the league would move on from him. But <laughs> um, let's talk last week. And obviously, mm-hmm. you, know, you know I want to talk Packers and Vikings, um, not only because you're a Vikings fan, but but also because it, I think it was one of the more significant games uh, in terms of playoff pictures and division championship pictures, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But we, we, we might just hedge around that to start with. We won't open your bleeding wounds <laughs> straight off the bat. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll fall on the hand grenade to start with. Obviously, my Steelers got absolutely embarrassed by the New York Jets, 10 to 16, and I... I foolishly went with my my team in the tipping, but I knew in the back of my head, and I said it several times to Frieda over the week, and I said, I just know the Steelers are going to lay an egg here. They're going to lose to the Jets. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you – did you get eyes on this game? Just the highlights video. Yeah, well, I was sort of similar. And, you know, I, I said in the show notes, the Steelers get embarrassed by the Jets, and they were embarrassed. The, the thing for the Steelers, I think, this defense – I just wonder what could have happened if we had had Roethlisberger at quarterback for the season. The reality, of course, is that when you've got quarterbacks like Mason Rudolph and then Devlin Hodges, you know, and and personally, if you look back across the tape of Rudolph at the start of the season and then then how his game changed after that head injury against Mm. the Ravens, I think this is a guy who I think he can still be at least a backup quarterback, a very solid backup in the NFL, and, and who knows what beyond that. But he, his game definitely took a step backwards after he was out for that time with, with the concussion protocol after that Ravens game earlier in the season. But the, the point I come away with this as a Steelers fan is going, no matter how good your defense is, and we have one of the top probably three defenses in the competition, if you're playing with your backup quarterbacks or undrafted free agents like Duck Hodges, eventually, by the law of averages, the talent evens out. You might get away. Like I said, at one point we'd won seven of eight or whatever it was, six of eight or six of seven. But eventually, every, you know, everything um, you know, falls back to the mean sort of thing mm-hmm. and, and you start losing games in a row and the offense, you know, is sort of exposed for what it is. And, you know, if this defense can't put up points, then the offense can't bail it out. And, and I think that's the realization now that I, I'm glad that the Steelers have managed to put together at least what will end up being an eight and eight season if they lose to the Ravens, which I think they will this week. Mm-hmm. Um but, but I do think you see how much difference a franchise quarterback makes. And, you know, 
there's some talent there like Juju Smith-Schuster, who is perhaps not as was not as ready to be the number one guy as we thought. Um, I'm still I'm still proud of their effort across the season to get to eight and eight, but but ultimately I think. And, and you know, you, I would like to see them win against the Ravens, but I think there are other more deserving teams of getting to the playoffs at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. And I think with the whole defense situation, unless you're scoring the majority of your points on pick sixes, like the defense is just there to set up great field position for your offense. Yes. So a defense goes a long way in winning games, but all they're doing is setting up good spots for the offense to do the work which is really important. You need a good defense to do that. You know, you can't have a great offense, but then a defense just that just gives up heaps of points. Mm. But you, even if you had the best defense that we've ever seen, if your offense can't score, you know, depending on who the team is, like it doesn't really do a whole lot. And I think that this is, uh, I don't know if we want to go to it right now, but that's kind of an interesting parallel between the, that game and the Packers and Vikings. Well, let, yeah, no, let, let's get into it. Let's not hedge around. We can both, we'll, we'll, we'll just get into it. The, the Packers and the Vikings, just to set it up for the, for the listener. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the, the, this game was of, of, of huge significance because if the Vikings had won, they would have evened up records with the Packers, yes? They would have yeah. both gone to 11 and something or... Um, I think it was like 12 and 4 or something like that, yeah. yeah. And... Look, ultimately what happened was that the, the, the Vikings were were sort of nowhere to be found for most of the game. Is that I'll, I'll throw to you to sort of discuss it from your perspective. But, the, but that's sort of when I watched it, you know, I think are people sleeping on the Packers? Were the Vikings sleeping against mm-hmm. the Packers? So I'll throw to you. I think that's half right, as in half of the team was sleeping. Mm-hmm. I, I'll start off with the positives, which I think really are good positives. They're not like, oh, okay, let's just talk about the good things so we don't have to talk about the bad things. Sure. I think it's actually really good how well the defense played. And it doesn't even seem like a one-off thing because they played so well the week before against the Chargers, mm-hmm. who, despite their record, was actually a fairly good football team. Mm-hmm. So our defense was really, really good. Got those turnovers, got that great interception. They were playing a great game and were setting up our offense to take this game away. Um but our offense did nothing, did nothing. Every time we got the ball, every time Cousins had it, I was like, just do something. I don't care if it's a five-yard pass or, you know, whatever. I just want something to happen, and it just never it never got there. And it's such a weird thing because I haven't seen that this entire season. Even against the Broncos in that first half, that was bad, but nowhere near as bad as this. And it's so... It's just so disappointing to see how good our, our offense has been and then to see our performance on Monday night. It was just insane how well, the big difference. And, you know, it is disappointing, but it is one-off. It, it, I do think it'll be a one-off thing. I don't think that doesn't mean that we're going to win the Super Bowl, but I think that type of offensive performance, I don't think we'll see again just because as much as it's easy to go, oh, look at how bad their offense is. They're not going to come back from this. You've got to look at their record. Most of their games have been playing really well on offense. So I think you've got to take that into account. But in terms of on Monday night, probably the worst Cousins or anyone on the offense has been this entire season. 
does it open up questions to just looking sort of back through my show notes that, you know, who they talk dif- different teams talk about, you know, the offense offense runs through, you know, player X or, you know, even coach mm. X. You know, this offense to me seems to run through Dalvin Cook. And when Dalvin Cook is not there, you know, whether it's Madison or whoever's running the ball for the Vikings, they are not Dalvin Cook. And I mean, Dalvin Cook was one of the most dynamic players across the first you know, part of this season, yeah. whenever he's taking the field. When he's not there, it seems to leave a pretty glaring weakness. I think that's definitely true. And that's definitely the main aspect of it. But I think another key part of the failure on offense was our offensive line. Mm-hmm. I think that really didn't help Kirk Cousins. Because if we had a great offensive line, like a really, really good O-line, I think that even without Dalvin Cook, I think, Cousins would have had enough time to figure out how to attack. But because he doesn't have Dalvin Cook to go to and to use that effective play action, he had to use some techniques that he's not used to, and he just doesn't have the time. That that Green Bay defense was just stunning. Like, even as a Vikings fan, I looked at that defensive line and went, wow, they are so powerful. And I don't think that I don't think that Kirk Cousins, without help from whether it's Dalvin Cook or the offensive line, without help, just him on his own, I don't think he's capable of winning a game with that kind of a defensive performance from another team. Yes, and, and, and a sort of another takeaway I had from this game too, because um, I I've sort of I go back and forwards with the Packers thinking, oh, they're, they're sort of underrated. You know, they've got to 12 mm. three. They're actually highly likely to finish, and we'll, we'll get into these playoff permutations shortly, mm-hmm. but they're likely to finish top two and get a bye through the first week of the playoffs and, and a home yeah. playoff game. But, you know, one thing about both the Vikings and the Packers is, is looking at those, you know, what has been their signature win, you know? And, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, for the Packers, it was probably beating Dallas in Dallas. Yeah. And I'd probably look at something similar for the Vikings. They went to AT&T Stadium and, and beat the Cowboys 28-24 to 24 <laughs> back in week four. But, you know, there's some losses on the schedules for these teams. The Packers got absolutely destroyed by the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> and the Minnesota Vikings, I look back at the game, you, you know, they went to Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City and they lost 26-23 to 23 to the Chiefs. However... I'm fairly certain that game against the Chiefs featured Matt Moore at quarterback. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I I wonder what these teams from the North are going to do once we hit playoffs. I I feel like it's really interesting to look at their record. Obviously, they've gone up against the AFC West. Um, You know, they've played the Chargers. They've played the Raiders. They've played the Broncos, who, let's face Mm. it, have been fairly up and down teams, to, to, to be kind. Yeah. So I... I do look at it and wonder, you know, in terms of a strength of schedule and that sort of thing, um, you know, what are their signature wins? And both against Dallas, I would say. That yeah, yeah, I, I'd agree. And and yet we see Dallas struggling to win their division at eight and seven. Um, so sort of moving beyond that, I, I don't really want to touch on the whole Kirk Cousins prime time thing because – I feel like there's a few ways you can cut that sort of thing. You know, it's not yeah. just Kirk Cousins. It's, it's Kirk Cousins' teams are losing mm. as well on prime time and, and all those sorts of things. 
Um, and I don't know. It's, I just feel like it seems like a little bit of a mute point. At yeah, I think the point has been made. And I like, yeah. like I said, I think in the previous podcast we did, it's not that it's without any sort of merit. I just mm. don't think it carries enough weight to be the point that's always brought up every time. There's an element of it for sure, but I don't think it's the main point. And do you think too, from from the, I, I, you were talking about the offense, you know, the offense as a whole, and I think that that's definitely a truism, you know, and I think even, you know, to talk about the Steelers, you know, people talk about the quarterback position. Well, it's really the whole offense has been dysfunctional. Mm. And I get that you can do more things on offense when you have a better quarterback, but at the same time, you know, there are 11 players on the park. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's the same for the Vikings. A a statistic that got thrown out in the game, they had seven first downs for the game, which was the lowest for Minnesota since 1971. Mm. This kind of leads me to the question that we talked about a little bit. I know that they're 10 and five and they'll probably go 11 and five because they're probably going to beat the bears at soldier field this weekend. But speaking of it, you know, tests for offensive lines, the, the, the bears pass rush is no joke. Um, Mm -hmm. I just don't think the Bears have any prayer to put enough points up to beat. Them. Yeah. Um, but as a Vikings fan, what are your feelings about your coaching staff and Mike Zimmer? Is Mike Zimmer the guy, you know, I get that it's sort of like some of the criticism in Pittsburgh of Tomlin, you know, you know, we, we okay. So we get, we've never had a losing season. We consistently make playoffs, but we haven't really been back to the Super Bowl in a decade or whatever it might be. Mm. There are these accusations of multiple coaches across the league, and ultimately, only two teams can make the Super Bowl every year. It's true. But where you sit with Zimmer, is he the guy that can take you from your ten and six seasons, your eleven and five seasons, into your thirteen and three Super Bowl appearances? Can he? Yes. Will he? No. I think he has the capabilities to get there, but I don't see it happening. I really don't. I think that. As you've said, he's sort of like an old school coach, which isn't a bad thing at all. We're in the playoffs. It's obviously not a bad thing. But there are just moments where you kind of want a different approach to things. I think when when shit hits the fan, you want a guy who can change things up and try and figure out a way to evolve within the game. I feel like Monday night was stick to what we're good at and it will pay off but we can't stick to what we're good at if we don't have Dalvin Cook. You know, we don't have the play action. We don't have all these sorts of things. There were just so many opportunities where I thought, why don't you throw a slant here? Or why don't you try some more screens? Like, I feel like Mike Zimmer just kind of stuck with what he wanted to do. And, you know, in an alternate universe, he could have paid off and we'd all be going, Mike Zimmer is the greatest coach of all time. You know, these things often come down to, you know, very small decisions that can change the whole thing so who knows what it would have been but in that game I don't think it really paid off and then it's not that he never admits to his mistakes and changes things but the feeling I get from his press conferences is that it's sort of like yes I see that we made a mistake there or you know we weren't great there but I don't see him working on that with the team for the next week Mm. at least not as much as as a Viking fan, I would like. I kind of want someone who can go, all right, this isn't working for us. Let's try something different. I don't really see that as much with Mike Zimmer. And, you know, we're in the playoffs. We'll see what happens. But I don't think he's the guy who can take us to the Super Bowl with the team we have. I think he could probably take another team, maybe. I think he's that good of a coach. But this current personnel that he has, 
I think they're kind of they need someone who can bring out their full potential. I don't think that's Mike Zimmer. Well, I think that you know, I, I think you make an interesting point about the you know the you know sticking to doing the same thing. I think and I think that's essentially what. I feel about, you know, when I say things like, oh, he's a meat and potatoes kind of old-fashioned coach. I can imagine him coaching mm. at Nebraska in the 70s. Like, to me, what, I, what I'm sort of talking about, and I think you hit on, is a refusal to, to be open to being wrong. Mm. be open to changing, to be open to, to saying, look, we've got to find a way to redo this. If we don't have Dalvin Cook, how is this offense going to run? because we're not getting much out of our run game. So how do we put Kirk Cousins in the best possible situation where he can get into rhythm and drive us down the field with the short and intermediate passing game? I mean, this team, the way I look at it, I mean, yeah, my, my take is, is, is sort of the opposite in, in some ways to, to, to yourself. In, in that, I think that, this team is ready to win a Super Bowl. I, mm. I, look, at, I look at your list as, as a Steelers fan. I, I look at the, the, the riches that the, the Vikings have, and I understand you've had some injuries, but you have a top half of the league quarterback. I think there's no doubt in the Cousins, you know, he's, and that was an exercise I wanted to do, but I don't know if we'll get to it today, of sort of asking you, okay, would you take, if you had the option between Lamar Jackson and Kirk Cousins, Patrick Mahomes and Kirk Cousins. How many quarterbacks would we go through yeah. before you arrive at Kirk Cousins? And I personally think it wouldn't be that many. I think he's in the top 16 to 10 quarterbacks. Yeah. So he's definitely in the top 50% of QBs in the league. I think you've got you know guys like Thielen, guys like Diggs, Kyle Rudolph. You've got an elite running back in Dalvin Cook. Your defense, as you've said, is incredible. I guess I look at it and think... Would a different coach know how, sort of see what's available? It sort of reminds me a little bit of the Packers under Mike McCarthy of the last few seasons where, you know, you've got one of the best quarterbacks in the league and you had a lot of talent for a lot of years, but you, in, in the end, couldn't maximize their potential. Mm. Say what you will about Matt LaFleur. He's got the Packers to 12 and 3. Yeah. You know, and, and he doesn't get a lot of media pop for that. Um, yeah, I just I just look at the Vikings and, and, and I really felt at the start of this season that they were, in terms of a roster, amongst the strongest in the NFL. And I, I, I think that at the moment, whether it's Stefanski in the, from the offensive coordination point of view, but I, but I ultimately think that the buck stops with Mike Zimmer, regardless of what Kevin Stefanski wants to run. Mm. You know, the offense is Mike Zimmer's offense. Yeah, yeah like to me and, and I just think that you wouldn't want to miss out on capitalizing on the on on what you have you've paid Kirk Cousins handsomely it's going to be difficult to keep such a talented receiving you know group together yeah. you, you would want to maximize it as quickly as possible but that, that's just my take on it anyway no I I'd, I'd, I'd really agree and that's why I think unlike a lot of other Vikings fans at the moment I'm actually fairly confident going into the playoffs. Mm. We had a bad game, but nearly every other good team has also had a, had a bad game, whether that's a loss or just a, a win that wasn't the kind of win you want. Mm. And in a way, and this could totally backfire, it's not mm. like this is guaranteed to work, but in a way, I think it's kind of good to have a loss near the end of the season to go, all right, this team 
just showed us what our flaws are. It had no effect on our playoff seating, like in terms of will we make it or not. So it's not affecting that. But the team is showing us, okay, we've got some flaws here. Let's try and fix it so we can be good to go for the playoffs. If we went in and had a, you know, somewhat whatever win against Green Bay, would have been good. It's good to beat Green Bay. And then had, you know, a whatever win against Chicago. I could totally see us going to New Orleans and getting absolutely thrashed for the same reason that Green Bay did. You know, so I think there's a trying to look positively. Not only am I just generally confident about our team, because like you said, I, I do think that they are totally capable of winning a Super Bowl. But even regarding the whole Green Bay loss thing, I think that depending on how these players and how the coaching staff want to take it, they can take it as a positive and go, Green Bay really exposed what's wrong with our offense mm-hmm. and also showed how good our defense can be. Let's mm-hmm. take the good and the bad, work on it for with Chicago, with you know however many starters we actually play. Well, it'll be a wait and see. And then when we go whether it's to Seattle or to New Orleans, or even I think we might even play San Francisco. Depends on whatever happens um, on Monday. But take all that and work on it and go back to the great team that we are and the great team we can be. So I'm a lot of Viking fans are really like, oh, we're going to be one and done, which we may be. But man, I'm, I look at our team and I go, that might be the kind of thing we need to go, to bring us back down to earth and go, we have some real flaws, let's try and work it out. Well, I hope so, and I hope they can get it done because, as I say, you, there's a lot of talent on that on that roster. Um, we'll just try and rattle through another set of the Week 16 games before we we, we need to sort of uh, go into hurry-up offense mode on the uh, Week yeah. 16. But um, one of the games I was most disappointed by, and I, and I felt most at odds with the general media consensus, was the Bills – Coming up short against the Patriots, they lose 24 to 17 in Foxborough. Did you get any eyes on this game? I watched, I think I watched the first half. Mm. And then, so I didn't actually see how it kind of shaked out. Mm. Well, look, my, my, my takeaway from this, you know, a lot of people went, God, they got so close. You know, Buffalo, they really, they pushed New England right to the brink. You know, 17 to 24, it's a touchdown. They've, they've played them close both times and it's so positive for the program. I felt entirely different. I really felt that this was a game that I never, and I rooted hard for the Bills. I mm-hmm. never felt that they were close. It never, I never truly believed that they could get the job done. And, you know, I think part of it is they need probably one more receiving weapon on mm-hmm. offense. They also could not stop. They, they just couldn't they, they couldn't stop the Patriots, particularly in the first half. There was long drives by the Patriots that just chewed time off the clock. I, mm-hmm. I am terrified the Patriots have found their playoff identity, which is that power running game, just grinding out the opposition. They looked eerily similar to how they were last playoffs, um, mm-hmm. which they haven't looked like all season. And it would be just so New England. But yeah, look, I just I just came away from this game. The Bills got their touchdowns on a couple of sort of um, long, explosive plays. And Josh Allen hit one beautiful deep ball touchdown, um, 
Well, both touchdowns really were set up by Josh Allen deep balls, one for mm. a direct touchdown and one for a catch down at the, the one-yard line. There's not enough in between for this Bills offense. It's, it's either uh, something or nothing. You never mm-hmm. get uh, consistent yardage drives. It all comes from sort of explosive plays. There's no sense of consistency on offense. And I think they've got a lot to work on. I, I think that uh, I think they're trending in the right direction. And, and for the Bills to be where they are at the moment is impressive. But I think, and I, I think the media in general just you know we want to back pat everybody and go oh they got close to New England. I don't think that'll be the sentiment whatsoever in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. I think Sean McDermott is a ruthless um, uh, worker. And I think he will be agonizing over the fact that they played New England within a touchdown both times this season and ultimately came up short in the clutch. Mm. I think that that could have been a real opportunity Mm. too. Because I think if the Bills beat the Patriots at that stage, they could have taken the division. They would have been in a position to, yeah? They would have needed the the Patriots to lose to the Dolphins this week. But so, they would have been at least in the conversation, you yes, know, absolutely. and gone into the playoffs going, hey, we beat the Patriots. Let's go. The, the idea that you come away having beaten New England in New England, mm. you know, would have been massive whether or not you won the division. And, yeah, I just, I guess I just came away feeling quite deflated. One, because I, I you know, you and I talked about, we'll see how much the Bills have improved to see, you know, what they've learned from last time against the Patriots. And while Josh Allen didn't turn the ball over, I still feel like at times they they are playing around, you know, what they're worried about with him. They're living in their fears a bit. Like they're they're thinking, God, we don't want him to run with the ball because he he fumbles it so often. Or we're worried Mm -hmm. about him throwing deep because of interceptions. At a certain point in time, he's got to improve that so that you can open up the playbook. Exactly. Um, so anyway, that, there's that one. If you've got no more th- thoughts on that one, I'll just quickly move through some of the significant mm-hmm. results. The Saints offense romped back against the Titans after going down 0-14. to 14. The Saints came back to win, I think, 38-28, to 28, uh, which was an impressive game on offense from the Saints and an impressive game on offense from the Titans. Uh, Sands, uh, Derek Henry, uh, but their defense ultimately let them down. Um, the Chiefs dismantled the Bears in Chicago, twenty-six to three. The takeaway from that game for me, uh, the Chiefs' defense is much improved. Obviously, they were going up against the Chicago offense, which is roundly pretty rubbish. But I think the addition of Terrell Suggs, who they claimed from the Cardinals, uh, definitely makes them a more dangerous proposition come playoff time. The 49ers eclipsed the Rams mm-hmm. 34 to 31, a sense of revenge. Um, there were reports coming out that that loss actually hit Sean McVay, coach of the Rams, harder than the Super Bowl loss, losing, losing to his old buddy Kyle Shanahan. Um, and obviously that ended any hopes this, that the Rams had of making playoffs. I was very happy. Yeah. <laughs> very, very happy to watch that game. Tense, though. Came down to the wire. It did. And, and you know, the 49ers uh, obviously can put up points and win in a variety of ways, but that defense continues to leak um, points. 
which is, uh, you know, interesting. Um, the Cardinals torpedoed the Seahawks 27 to 13. And unbelievably, Kyler Murray didn't even play the whole game. Brett Hundley came on wow. and he, he got some things done as well. So the Seahawks, the big story, obviously, with the Seahawks now, no Rashad Penny and no Chris Carson. So both premier running backs for them now out injured for the season. Um, and they've they've signed a former running back Marshawn Lynch out of retirement. Uh, reports that he was doing shots with fans at the Oakland Raiders last game in Oakland. Uh-huh. So it'll be in- interesting to see what sort of shape Marshawn Lynch mm. is in this week. But I I think the Seahawks are in some danger. What say you? I would agree. I think of all the teams that the Vikings can face in the playoffs, I want to face the Seahawks. You know, there's obviously a chance that Marshawn Lynch might come in and absolutely blow the doors open, and then all of a sudden Seattle's back in it. But I don't think that's going to happen. Come in and blow the doors off his hamstring. Yeah, it's very true. (laughs) I think that's more (laughs) likely to happen. So yeah, they they are worrying me in terms of if I was a Seahawks fan. You know, that would that performance against the Cardinals not not a good look. Not a good look at this end of the season and going into the playoffs. But you know. The Seahawks are also the type of team who might kind of feed off that sort of bad press and go, well, you know, we're going to show you in the playoffs how good we can be, but I don't know if I believe it. Well, it's interesting to look at things too, like the the, the Seahawks, you know, for so long, you know, talked about, you know, traveling up to Seattle. It's really, it's a difficult place to play and it is a difficult place to play, but they've lost to the Teddy Bridgewater-led Saints in Mm. Seattle. I believe they lost to – I can't remember if the Ravens game was in Seattle or not, but they – it might have been in Baltimore. But anyway, you know, they lost to the Cardinals mm. in Seattle. This has not been the fortress that it once was. I think what's really interesting is to look at how Russell Wilson's numbers have tailed off as the running game has not been as good. You know, yeah. I, I think – the loss of the the running backs doesn't only affect the running game. It affects the passing game because if you can stop Seattle's run, then you know what the other option is. And I yeah. don't think the passing game, a little bit like the Bills, to be honest, it's, it's a feast or famine. Either it's 30, 40, 50-yard bombs setting sail from Russell Wilson to, you know, Tyler mm. Lockett or uh, DK Metcalf, or it's three and outs. And I think that... I, I really think that the Seahawks are in trouble if they can't fix this run uh, or find consistency in the passing game. The uh, Dallas Cowboys got choked out by the Philadelphia Eagles, 9-17, to ultimately coming up well and truly short in a big spot in, a, in essentially a game that, uh, although you know it hasn't locked up anything, but the, the Cowboys now need the Eagles to lose. Mm. And we'll move into talking about all that shortly. But, you know, what an embarrassing loss. Did you watch this game? I did. This is one of the few ones that I, I did watch on the weekend just because, you know, I like to see a good old Dallas loss every now and then. Plus, I've kind of grown a bit of, a, a bit of an appreciation for, for Philly. I think that yeah. of the NFC East, like they're the ones that I want to see in the playoffs of of those between that and Dallas. So yeah, it's surprising looking at the stats for that game. If you ignore the whole touchdown interception count for Dak Prescott, 
It didn't look like an awful game. No. It got 260 yards. Mm. Not not great completion percentage. But if you just look at the yards, you're like, that's not bad. Surely he threw a touchdown or two. Nothing. Nothing. That is so surprising for, you know, Dallas isn't a great team, but I sort of expect Prescott to get at least a touchdown. And the mm. fact that he didn't was really indicative of where the, where the Cowboys are at right now. Yeah, and, and look, you know, I, I sort of uh, think that in some ways, I don't know if you've got the uh, Eagles-Cowboys stat line in front of you at all. Um, my, got a little my, bit here. Um, yeah, I just, I was wondering, I, I, I felt like they never really got their run game established, but I could be wrong. That could have just been a perception. Um, uh, Elliot only got 47 yards. Yes. So, so great. Yeah. That is that is definitely uh, as you know that's basically stopping Ezekiel mm. Elliott if you, yeah, yeah. if you hold him under hundred. Um, you know, I look at the so here's two coaches in this game: Jason Garrett for the for the Cowboys. You know, in charge of arguably the most talented roster in the NFL, certainly in the NFC. Mm. And on the other side of the ball, a Philadelphia Eagles side riddled with injuries, um, and you've got Doug Peterson in charge there now. Jason Garrett, for me, sort of fits the Mike Zimmer mold in, in mm-hmm. a way. That they are very traditionalist and almost immune to change. On the other side of things, you've got Doug Peterson, who a couple of years ago won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles at yeah. quarterback and who has kept this team alive, um, you know, through some really tough stretches this year and has sort of found different ways to, to get things out of his players. I... It's unbelievable to me that Jason Garrett is still there. Uh, this would only happen in Dallas. This would only happen in Dallas. And, and you know what? I have a sneaky feeling that they are going to end up in the playoffs. Mm, that's an I, interesting take. Um, let's move into talking about that. We were, we were going to have a chat about the rookie QBs um, in Haskins, Locke, and Jones. But we might... Just move over uh, now mm-hmm. to talk uh, in, in some other things. Um, and uh, I'm just trying to suss out. I've lost my, I've lost my notes. Um, hmm. I've got them here if you'd like me to lead you in. Oh, perfect. So uh, just, just in case you might be able to – I'm mainly thinking with the um, – the, uh, the playoff permutations when we get into that. But what I want to do is move into week 17 and I'll, I'll, I'll try and ad lib off the cuff here. You can do it. I believe right. in you. So <laughs> the <laughs> NFC, we wanted to talk about the NFC first. And I believe the first game up I was talking about was the 49ers and the Seahawks. Ding, ding. Ding, ding. So the 49ers and Seahawks is interesting from the point of view that if the Seahawks won this game, they would leapfrog the 49ers and win the division. And they would send a 49ers team that at the moment seem locked into a top two seed, tumbling down to fifth. It's crazy. Place. It's nuts. And, and I don't think they will. But I, I, what are you thinking about this game? Because as we just discussed with the running back situation in Seattle, I just also get this feeling of like, if any team finds some stupid way to win in front of their home fans in a mm. game where the odds are stacked against them, it's Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. Yeah, it's it's a tough thing to it's a tough game to pick for me because Seahawks aren't doing great. 
49ers are doing better, but still in the past month haven't had like absolutely amazing performances. Mm. So it's it's an interesting game to to look at, and it's tough to pick. But you're right, the Seahawks are the sort of team that will go. Ah, uh, you think we're bad? No, no, no. Watch this. We're going to blow the 49ers out. You know, it's, yeah. it's going to be really. It's definitely one that I'm going to watch. That's going to be guaranteed because, again, it's got some really interesting playoff seeding, you know, mm. things up there. So I, it's going to be so fascinating to watch that game. So I think we said we would pick this game, and and I'm going to challenge you to that. Just pick right. this, pick the result and the score. Oh, this is a tough one. Um. I'm going to put my trust in the Seahawks, and I think that they're going to pull off a little bit of an upset, which you wouldn't think because it's at Seattle, but it yeah, yeah. seems like it would be an upset. And I, I'll say it's a – I'm going to go 24-21. I think it's going to be pretty close, but the Seahawks are going to come out on top. All right. I'm going to write these down. We'll have to do this next season where we pick a few games. Mm. Um, um, 24-21. I am going to pick... I'm going to put my trust in K-Shan and the 49ers. I'm going to say we're going to get a 35-17 to 17 victory. Ooh. I, I think that Tasty. They, I think that they avenged the loss earlier this season down in San Francisco. I think that the run game from memory featured pretty heavily in that match with Rashad Penny and uh, Chris Carson. I think without them, they're going to have trouble breaking down this 49ers defense. I think Jimmy G and particularly the running game for Mm. the San Francisco 49ers are going to get the job done. There's a lot on the line for them. I get there's a lot on the line for the Seahawks, but I just think that the 49ers have the cattle to get the job done. Yeah, That's interesting. I'll be interested to see how it unfolds because I think you're right. I think the, I think either the Seahawks win close Mm-hmm. Or the 49ers blow them out. Yeah, I think that's right. So, um, just thinking NFC, I think we moved on then to discussing the Eagles and Giants and the Cowboys Redskins. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Ding, ding. Um, ding, ding, ding. So, 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 this for me is interesting. The, the Eagles and the Giants, I think the Eagles, personally, I think Dallas are going to handle the Redskins Easily. They've got no yep. Dwayne Haskins to deal with. They've got Case as As feisty as the Redskins have been down the stretch, I think this is a spot where Dallas uh, throws down the hammer. Are you in agreement with that sort of a view? Yeah, I think that it is the game where you could see Dallas being absolute trash against the Redskins. But I don't think it's going to happen. I think Dallas, yes, you know, we love to talk about how bad Dallas is but you know compared to a team like the Redskins they are a better team and I think that I think they'll win but yeah who knows if there's any team that's going to lose to the Redskins it's Dallas that's right and and in some ways that's how I feel I don't feel like the Redskins do much in this game to control whether they win or not it it really comes down to will Dallas Mm. uh, I think I put this will Dallas shoot themselves in the foot and then allow Case Keenum to shoot them in the same bullet yeah you know, it's kind of like that's what it comes down to for me. So, mm-hmm. um, but then, so so say that Dallas wins, the Eagles then have to win against the New York Giants, who looked more than frisky at times. Mm. 
what are your thoughts on that game? I have a, the, I have this impending feeling of doom that the Giants are going to pull out a W to end their season and, and also at the same time end the Eagles' season. Yeah, it's... I always was going to pick the Eagles because I think they're a fairly good football team. And I was thinking, ah, Giants, they're 4-11. But I watched the Redskins-Giants game this morning, the 40-minute version. Yeah, yeah. And now I think I'm with you. I think the Giants are going to go, you know what? Divisional game, nothing to play for but pride. Let's blow these Eagles out of the water. And I... I my my the logic in my head goes, Eagles are going to win. They're the better team, and they've got something to play for. But I don't know there's something there that makes me go. Maybe the Giants just want to, out of spite, will take down the Eagles. Absolutely, and I, look, my view on this is: out of these two games, out of these two NFC East games, one of them is going to be an upset. Mm. And I feel like the most likely one of that is the Giants game. I don't know why. I just have a feeling in my waters. And it means we're going to have to deal with the Dallas Cowboys in the playoffs. And we might even have to deal with a, I mean, the positive side for us is that if Jason Garrett manages to get into the playoffs here, then we get a whole nother season of the Cowboys being mediocre because Jason yeah. Garrett will still be there. So, um, yes. <laughs> oh, let, let's pick it. Eagles, Giants. What do you mm. So, like I said, as much as my logic, logical brain wants to say the Eagles by, you know, two touchdowns, I'm going to pick, and I'm going to I'm gonna have to change my tipping for this because originally I did tip the Eagles until I watched the Giants this morning. I'm going to pick the Giants to win, and I think it's going to be low scoring. I think it's going to be Giants 10, Philly 7. Woo! I think it's going to be a defense one. Or, you know, a bad offense, one or the other. Yeah. I, I'm... Oh. Yeah, look, I'm going to say that the Giants win this game 28-24. to 24. That's a good pick. I, and I think... Uh, and, and Cowboys-Redskins, I'll lead off the hitting here. I think the Cowboys win 32-17 to 17 against the Redskins. What's yeah, I, I'd pretty much go the same. I think that's a pretty certain pick there. Yeah, all right. We'll go similar on that. All right. So, so at this stage in the NFC, we would have the Cowboys making. In. I hope I'm wrong. I really do because I, I, mm. I really would like to see Carson Wentz take the Eagles into the playoffs. I just mm. am nervous that we're going to see it happen. Um, yeah. And and you know what? It's not just Daniel Jones for the Giants that that scares me. It's Saquon Barkley. Yeah, he, man, he was stunning. He is. Um, as I said, we'll save the um, – I think we'll save the young quarterback talk for later, but there's plenty to be said about Daniel Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I remember my show notes correctly, we move off the NFC there? Well, we've got Packers and Lions and Saints and Panthers, but I don't know if that's too interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think I think my sort of uh, – my reading of this situation, if I'm correct, if the Packers win, they lock up a, a top seed. Yeah. Um, and – the Saints can only lock up a top seed if the 49ers lose. I believe so. Yes. Because yeah. if, yeah, if the 49ers lose to the Seahawks, the Seahawks would theoretically jump to the same record as the Saints if the Saints win, but the Saints beat Seattle in Seattle earlier in the season. So they'd have the head-to-head mm-hmm. record. So the Saints will be barracking for the Seahawks um, and the uh, the Packers just need to win against them Lions. Easy peasy. 
Let's flip it over then to the AFC and all of the 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 crazy things that can happen there. Mm-hmm. Now, my my remembrance of this is that all, all there are five playoff spots already sewn up. Only yeah. one more available, which is the sixth seed. So currently, we've got the. Baltimore Ravens locked in at the number one seed. We've got the Patriots locked in at number two, unless they are upset at the Dolphins and the Chiefs win, because the Chiefs would leapfrog them uh, Mm -hmm. based on the head-to-head record. Then you've got the – so theoretically you'd have Ravens, uh, Patriots, Chiefs at three, the Texans at four, who could leapfrog the Chiefs if the Chiefs lose and if the Texans win against the Titans, but it all seems pretty unlikely Mm. at this stage. Um, because the Chiefs are playing the Chargers, and I think that the Chiefs have more than enough motivation to beat the Chargers. Uh, and then you move to the fifth seed, which the Bills are locked in on. It's the number six seed that mm-hmm. brings us all of our interest here. The Tennessee Titans in the box seat in terms of they win and they're in, but there is still a, a, a door cracked open for the Steelers and there is still a magic carpet ride for the Raiders mm-hmm. if a bunch of things went their way. So let's uh, first dive in um, in terms of our games. What do you think? Do you think the Texans are going to play their starters against the Titans? I don't know. I, I'll be honest. I haven't really focused a whole lot on Houston and only the Titans fairly recently. Um, so I don't really know. But my, my gut would say surely... Houston takes a loss and go, okay, we won't make, we won't put all our starters in. We're in the playoffs. And I think the Titans, because of that, because I think that will happen, I think the Titans will come out on top. But I don't really know. That's kind of just a gut feeling. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And and as they said, the, the Chief, a lot will depend, I guess, on the Chiefs Chargers game, which happens a little earlier in the day. So, so by mm. the time this game kicks off, the Titans and uh, the Texans will be aware of whether or not they can control their own destiny to get to that number three seed. Yeah. I think if they can't, I think they maybe roll the starters out in the first quarter or the first half, and then they start pulling guys as the game goes on, depending on what's sort of happening. Uh, I think this Titan, even regardless, even if they did play the starters, I think this Titans team is more than capable of getting the job done in this game. Um, If, their defense can come up with some stops against Deshaun Watson and the Texans. How say you? I, I Yeah, I think so. I think it's a tough one. Like, it, I really do think it depends on whether or not Houston wants to win the game. Mm. If Houston want, want to win, I think Houston does. But if they don't, I think the Titans are too good that they'll, they'll win. Mm. So, yeah, it's it's tough. But I think I'd have to go with the Titans. I think that they're – yeah, cause I, because I think Houston won't want to really win that game. I think Tennessee will kind of come out on top there. And if I had to pick a, a score, maybe something. I think the Titans will be pretty high scoring. So I'll go something like 38-21, something like that. Yeah, nice. No, so I'll, I'll go a little lower. I think the, the Texans have got enough on defense. I think I'll go, I, and now this is assumed. I think that they'll go 27-24, the Titans, mm-hmm. win, winning by a field goal. Um, but as I think the tech, the Texans are a hard team to pick. Um, yeah. 
this season. They've had some really incredible results going down to Kansas City and beating the Chiefs down there. They've they've really fronted up well against some teams and, and then less than well against others. Um, mm-hmm. So with all that being said, if the Titans come out and win this game, then everything else falls away. If the yeah. Titans win, then the, both the Steelers and the Raiders have their playoff hopes snuffed out, which is, I think, the likely scenario. So mm-hmm. just looking at that Steelers and uh, Ravens game, I the, the Ravens have already announced that they are sitting Lamar Jackson for this game. RG3 will come in and take snaps. We'll, we'll even see maybe late in the game, even Trace McSorley might come in and take some snaps for the Ravens. Mark Ingram is out injured. You know, so there's a lot of talk among Steelers fans. Hey, it's the Ravens' backups, you know, and across the league, the Ravens' backups and, and all this sort of thing. But to be honest, Minnesota Jack, from from a Pittsburgh Steelers' point of view, you're also starting Duck Hodges, not out of desire, but out of necessity, because I believe mm-hmm. if Mason Rudolph hadn't got injured um, in that game against the Jets, I believe Rudolph would be starting. So you're starting Duck Hodges over Paxton Lynch simply because he knows the playbook. And he's been, mm. you know, in the system. You're also going to be without your own premier running back in James Connor, who is out. You're also going to be without, I believe, it's your starting center in Marquise Pouncey. Uh, so this is a Steelers team. The the offense is ineffective. I think. Again, I think I put in my show notes. You know that the. The only way the Steelers possibly win this is if they absolutely blitzkrieg the Ravens' offense and somehow come away with probably two scores on defense. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can count on your offense for more than one score. Um, and even that might be pushing it. I, th- I think they're going to have to hold... If the Ravens get to 20 points, this game is over. The yeah. Steelers are not going to score 20 more or more points. They need to hold the Ravens to about 10 to 14 points to have any prayer in this game, in my opinion, unless unless mm-hmm. the offense suddenly takes off and it's like, oh my goodness, Buck Hodges just threw 400 yards and three touchdowns. Yeah. But <clears throat> I, so I think in this part of the equation, personally, I think the Steelers uh, are going to lose this game um, to the Ravens, you know, second mm-hmm. string starters. But let's face it, it's not 53 second string starters. It's maybe half a dozen to, to eight or nine of the top string guys. You've still got the rest of the roster who have gone 14 yeah. or 13 and two or whatever they are at present. Um, mm-hmm. how's that, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I'm pretty much the same. I, I think there is a world where Pittsburgh comes out on top, and I think it's the situation that you've laid out there. But yeah, I think the Ravens are just too good, even without Lamar and, and all of those guys. I think, yeah, I think, yeah, Pittsburgh, they're, they're a good to me, they're a good team, but they're versing an amazing team without some of their starters. So I don't think Pittsburgh is going to come out on top, but, you know, who knows? I think, I reckon the first quarter will really tell if Baltimore just comes out of the gate with, you know, a touchdown. And, you know, I, I think the, Pit, the Steelers won't really have a chance, but we'll see. All right, well, if I had to pick this score, I'd say it's going to probably be about 21 to uh maybe 13 or something like that in, in favor of the Ravens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd go something like, yeah, maybe something like 24 to 10. Ravens yeah, I, I mean, it's in Baltimore. There's going to be high and, you know, you can't discredit the fact 
it's the Ravens and the Steelers. The Ravens want to beat Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and and so I just think, you know, it's interesting, you know, like we talk about the Steelers, you know, what, what sort of team are they? I think they are an elite defense and a bottom four offense. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, they'll probably arrive at the end of the season at eight and eight. And that will be a fair reflection, um, I guess, of, of that average, that they are about average, given the fact that their their offense so counts against such an elite defense. And I, I just hope they can keep this defense together. Bud Dupree is due a massive payday, and it's going to be touch and go as to whether the Steelers can find a way to pay him and keep him there. If they keep this defense together and Roethlisberger returns and maybe they can go out and address some of the offensive uh, positional needs in the draft, yeah. um, then I think this team can bounce back and be a division contender, can be a conference contender next season, depending on how big Ben's elbow recovers. But uh, for now, I think eight and eight would be a fair reflection. And um I think the Titans missing out on a playoff spot would be a disservice to what they've done in the second half of this season with Ryan Tannehill under center, who's been just exemplary. Mm. Um, the Raiders obviously need everything to go their way. They need losses yeah. to both the Titans and the Steelers. Um, and uh, also a loss to the Colts, perhaps, I think maybe the Colts have to lose to the Jags or mm-hmm. now, the, the business end of it all is that they've got to go to Mile High Stadium in Denver and beat the Broncos. And I don't think they're going to be able to do that. So, Yeah, I think that's, that's very true. I don't think they have the capabilities. I haven't watched a whole lot of their games, but of what I have watched, it, you know, it could be either, but I don't think Oakland can, can do it. I think uh, they shot themselves well and truly in the foot with that loss to Jacksonville a few weeks ago. That That's the really yeah. sad thing for the Ra- Raiders is that they let a, was it a 16 to zero lead or a 16 to three? Yeah, it was something like that. You know, slip in the last quarter at home in their last game at the Coliseum. If they win that, then they control their destiny. You know, if they win that, they are much more in control of their own fate than they are now. And, you know, really there's games across the season for the Raiders um, like that. They have been another one of these teams that's been up and down. They've showed some some good spots. They've showed some really devastatingly poor spots as well. Um, obviously, they've improved since last season, but mm-hmm. uh, there's still improvement to be made as John Gruden and the Raiders move out to Vegas. Uh, let's pick this game, and then I reckon we unless there's other games that you are interested in, in, in getting to talking about, um, we, we might actually springboard into our little QB go. Mm, for sure. If for me with that game, I think Broncos come out on top, something like 24, 13. I don't think the Broncos Broncos will, you know, blow them out of the water, but I don't think the Raiders are really that capable. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with, I reckon we're going to, I personally, I think we're going to see a fun game in this one. Mm. Go, I reckon we're going to see 31-35 for the Broncos. Oh, I hope so, man. That'd be good. I I think this could be a game where the Broncos actually get out in front early and then the Raiders are going to sling it late to try and come back. I think think we'll see some fun um, in this game uh, between the Raiders and the Broncos. And let's use that. Look at this for a media oh, yes. segue. Do the it. Broncos with Drew Locke. Ah, ha, ha, ha. 
we'll move now into talking about three young quarterbacks that have made an impact for their team this season and could make an impact on their franchise moving forward into Le Future. Mm-hmm. The, I speak, of course, of Drew Locke at the Denver Broncos. I speak of Dwayne Haskins at the Washington Redskins. And I speak of Daniel Jones at the New York Giants. Now, Jones has played the most games out of those. I believe he's had 12 starts overall this season for the Giants. Um, Haskins has started nine games, I think it was. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Nine games? Yep. And, and Drew Locke has just the four starts for the Broncos. Um, so... Where, yeah, where, where do you want? I think maybe what we do with this is let's start with Daniel Jones because he's sort of been the starter for the majority yeah. of the season. And you, I'm glad that you went back and watched that game because he's a fun mm. quarterback to watch, isn't he? Yeah, I, I feel like it, there was a good balance of, and I think you need this with a good quarterback, a good balance of short throws and effective long throws. Mm. It was, and, and like you said, fun. Like he's not he's not Tom Brady, you know, where he's good, but you know, he's whatever in terms of entertainment value. Mm. He's actually fun to watch, and I think I'm I'm pretty sure that was the first Giants game I've watched this season. <laughs> I haven't really had a whole lot of interest in them, but watching that, I'm like, maybe next season they're one that I, you know, put on the telly. Yeah, and look, they've got he's got weapons around him. What I think they should probably go. It's a shame that they didn't have one of the league's best receivers in Odell Beckham Jr. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But, you know, like, uh, at the same time, he does seem like a locker room cancer to an extent because yeah. things ain't working out in Cleveland either. Um, but I think, you know, that would be a position to look at probably for them in the in the draft. This is a, a, a heavy wide receiver batch coming out in this draft. Mm-hmm. So I think that they could look there. But but Daniel Jones too, look, he, he has been really impressive. I, I if, if you wouldn't mind listing off his stats off that, uh, those shows. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what's he done this season, if you can jog my memory? Yeah, so he's, as you said, he started 12 games this season, completed 62.1% of his passes, mm-hmm. and he's rushed for 253 yards and two touchdowns with only four fumbles. Mm-hmm. He's had a total of 16 fumbles in his 12 games, which is, you know, not great. And his best performance was against the Bucks, where he threw 23 out of 36 336 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and four rushes for 28 and two touchdowns, which is mm. pretty – that's a pretty good performance if I'm looking at that. Yeah, and, and and I can't remember exactly, but I believe he brought the Giants back from behind in that game. I could be wrong. But, um, yeah, look, I think they've got something pretty special in Daniel Jones. I think that they need to get a coach around him who can mentor him yeah. and, make him the best player possible. Obviously you've got to reduce the turnovers because it's 11 interceptions to go with those 16 fumbles. Mm. Um, but I think what's interesting, you know, a lot of people compared him to Eli Manning and saying, Oh, it's a like for like kind of player. I think he's way more athletic and, and can, mm. make, you know, more plays with his legs and extend, not, not in a Lamar Jackson type way, but, but he's, he's dynamic. Yeah, uh, for sure. So I'm pretty excited about, as you say, they're probably a team that I'll watch more. I love that Raiders-Giants game. Uh, sorry, mm-hmm. Redskins-Giants game that you were talking yeah. about. And we'll use that, I guess, to springboard into Dwayne Haskins. Mm. Um, so Haskins, you know, takes over sort of mid-season. And yeah. 
and and he's he's been it's been sort of his last three three starts that have been um, the significant signs of improvement. I, I believe we've got the the stats there for his last three games. Yeah, so overall he hasn't been too impressive no. out of his nine games. Fifty eight point six percent completion percentage, seven touchdowns for seven deceptions. Not great. But his last three games against the Packers, Eagles, and Giants, he's thrown for a combined 46 out of 65 for 564 yards at 72.3% with five touchdowns and only one interception. Mm. That's a good last three games. Yeah, I I think you've seen significant um, improvement in him in terms of his his throw placement. Mm. He looked, I don't know if... You sort of noticed this, but he is the guy leading the offense. You can see him making adjustments at the line. He's sort of, and this is the thing. I I don't know how much you know about his his college career at Ohio State. He had one year of college football as a starter. Wow. He's you know he's just twenty two years of age. So there's not just is it the step to the NFL. It's also this overall thing of leading the offense year after year. I think he's going to grow. I think he has a, an enormous ceiling. Um, mm. and, and I think it's just a matter of getting the right guy um, into like, the hounds of hell. But yes. We're not happy about Dwayne Haskins and his seven deceptions. That's, no, that's, that's the, the uh, New York Giants uh, fans barking for Pat Shermer's head. Yeah. Um, so, but in, in um, Washington, you know, one in, one interesting thing is that I think Urban Meyer, who was the coach at Ohio State when Dwayne Haskins played there last season and has since mm. he since walked away from that position, I think he could be one. And I'm pretty sure he was up in the Washington Redskins, one of their corporate boxes, talking to currently injured Redskins quarterback Alex Smith, who he coached at Utah. I think... Urban Meyer could be a sneaky name to throw his hat in the ring for the Redskins job and team up with his former protege, Dwayne mm-hmm. Haskins. Um, yeah, what did you think looking at Haskins, uh, particularly in that game against the Giants? Similar. I thought that uh, there's enough difference there, but I thought that him and Daniel Jones played quite similar. I think mm-hmm. that maybe Haskins isn't quite as athletic, mm-hmm. but in terms of their throwing, Seem to have a very similar style that I that I quite like. Also, very fun to to watch. And you know, I think maybe I won't watch every single Washington Washington game next season. But again, just looking at these young guys, you're like, if they can continue on the trajectory that they're on right now, they could make for some really fun football games. If not, you know, going for playoffs. Absolutely, and I, I think you know he's in an interesting position, uh, Dwayne Haskins, where. You know, he's got Terry McLaurin, uh, the wide receiver who, who played with him at Ohio State. Um, I think that, you know, they're perhaps not as well positioned as the Giants um, in terms of the talent they have on their roster at the current time. And I think their coaching situation will be different. As I said, I, I, I feel like Haskins is a guy who would be great to get some familiarity at the coaching position. Um, mm feel that about Baker Mayfield back at Cleveland um, that, you know, I'm surprised that they never went after um, Oklahoma uh, Oklahoma 
coach Lincoln Riley, who coached uh, Baker Mayfield uh, at the Oklahoma Sooners. Um, and he seems to be such a brilliant offensive mind that he would be geared well um, to take on the, the offensive riches of that Cleveland team. And, you know, he, mm. he's famed for being able to scheme players open and, um, and adapt to the different needs of different quarterbacks. Finally, we move on to Drew Locke at Denver. Now, he had an interesting start to this season. You know, Vic Fangio made no bones about the fact that he thought that Drew would have to sit for a long time. He had a lot to learn. Um, he, he did not go out of his way, Fangio, to give Locke any uh, undue praise or flattery. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was quite hard on him. But Locke has ended up starting the season after uh, Flacco was replaced by Kyle Allen and after Kyle Allen was ultimately replaced by Drew Locke. Mm. Locke's only got the four starts and, and his statistics have been pretty impressive. Yeah, especially for, for a rookie quarterback. And I feel like the game against the Vikings, which is the first game that I saw him play, if it wasn't for the Vikings coming back and obviously winning that game, that might have been like one of the better rookie QB games in a while. It just was mm-hmm. unfortunate for him and his team that the Vikings kind of came back with with their performance. Um, but yeah, out of his four games, 843 yards, 64.8%. Six, touch, six touchdowns and three interceptions, which included a game against the Texans, 38 to 24, where he completed 22 of 27 for 81.5, 309 yards, three touchdowns and an interception. You know, it's not like absolutely stunning, like, oh my God, this guy's the best quarterback in the league. But for who he is, that is a good performance. And I think more than anything, shows that he's got room to improve from a good starting point. Absolutely. And, you know, for, for a Texans team, um, you know, they're, they're, they're a division winner, at least mm-hmm. a division leader um, at the time that they played. And I'm really excited by what Drew Locke brings. Um, I think that he got really found out against the Chiefs in the snow. Um, yeah. I, I think he completed about 18 of 40 passes, but it was a pass-heavy offense that day. They couldn't get the run game going at all. And the Chiefs defense sort of have their had their way with him but you know i think he's also like as i said he's played some good games six touchdowns and the three interceptions he's really have you watched much of Locke? i've I watched him with the vikings and then i did watch him against the texans so sort of two of his better performances i would say so he he really what i like about him is that He's great getting out of the pocket on the run and making throws on the go. Mm. You know, there's obviously it's it's a huge comparison, but you know, the way that Patrick Mahomes for Kansas can do that and roll out and make throws off platform across his body. You know, it's, I really there were a few throws that uh, that Drew Locke has made this season in his starts that I've watched. That you know, they're those draw dropping. Oh my goodness, throws where you think, oh well, this play's dead, and suddenly yeah. he finds a way to deliver a, a beautiful strike to a receiver near the boundary or something like that. I think this guy has tremendous, tremendous upside, and in a lot of ways, I think he's in a in a quite a stable position. Um, you know, with with a team like Cortland, he's got Cortland Sutton at the wide receiver position. He's got Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman in the running back 
He's got a great defense to lean on, and that defense is only going to get be- better next season when Von Miller will be rejoined by. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of his first name, but uh, the surname is Chubb. It's not mm-hmm. Nick Chubb because Nick Chubb plays for um, the Cleveland Browns. But anyway, um, uh, so he he had been injured for most of the season. Um, he got injured very early on and was ruled out. So I think this defense only gets better, and that's sort of Fangio's uh, speciality is the um, is the defensive side of the ball. But this offense has looked pretty cool too, and I think mm. that they've got a run game and now a passing game with Drew Locke that's pretty exciting. So my question, as we look at these three guys, which, if you're a, if you were a fan of the Giants, the Redskins, or the Broncos, which fan base would you prefer to belong to as we head into 2020 and beyond? Mm. Yeah, would you prefer to be a Giants fan, a Redskins fan, or a Broncos fan? Who do you think is set up for the the, the most success? It's tough. I think that there's almost two different ways to look at it Mm -hmm. in terms of who has the most potential to be a great quarterback. I'd probably go with Drew Locke. I think that unlike the other two guys, and it's not that they don't do this, but he does this more often. He makes plays. Like Mm -hmm. you said, he, he gets out of the pocket and he can, and he allows the play to go on and make something happen. And I think that if he can capitalize on that and really, you know, improve his skills in other areas. He is the one of those three that I could see becoming a big name. But I don't think that's going to happen, at least not quickly. So on the other end, in terms of who would I be happier with, I think Daniel Jones. I think that he's had the best... Obviously, we've seen more of him, so I guess that kind of helps the argument. But I don't know. I think his stats are a little bit better. He's more fun to watch. So as a fan, that's kind of the guy that I want to see, you know, under center. And I think just I look at his stats and I go, that is a good quarterback who's young. So it's tough. Like I could really pick any of those three, but if I had to, in terms of who I'd prefer to have as my quarterback, I think it would be Daniel Jones. All right. For, for me, I, I think I think you're, you're sort of hitting the nail on the head there. I'll just sort of flesh out my, my picks on mm. those ones. So I would think personally, that this comes down a little bit to organizational identity for me. Mm-hmm. Now, I really like Dwayne Haskins and think he has a very high ceiling. However, I do not trust the Washington Redskins as an organization to, one, get the right pieces in around him, two, to get a coaching situation in that can help him develop. I don't trust their organizational uh, decision-making. I think that, um, you know, th- that would change, of course, I think if they went out and made a hire like Urban Meyer and basically gave him the keys to the castle. If they said, yeah. do what you want, you're almost like your own GM. You can sign who you want. You can, you, you know, we're going to give you the power to be sort of the CEO of the, of the Washington Redskins football program, which is, you know, what um, uh, Urban Meyer did at the college mm-hmm. level, you know, at Ohio State, and he developed a ruthlessly successful program there. They're not my opinion of this change, but at the moment, I, I think Dwayne Haskins, I, I would be probably least happy to be a Redskins fan because I don't trust our organization 
to make the most of what we have, which I think is a diamond in the rough. I think Dwayne Haskins has enormous potential, um, but I, I, I don't know that we have the organization to help him get there. Yeah. But we'll, we'll learn a bit about that across the off season. I think also there's not the pieces there right now to help him. I think mm-hmm. then I would look at two organizations who actually are both pretty solid. The Denver Broncos have had a history of, you know, more recent success. Um, you know, the, the Broncos won a, a championship back in 2015 with uh, Peyton Manning at the helm. Uh, mm-hmm. The New York Giants won one as recently as 2012. So these are teams that have had sustained success across the history of the NFL. But they're also teams that have won, you know, pretty recently within the last decade. Mm-hmm. Now, there's obviously frustration at both of these programs in terms of, you know, uh, for the Broncos, it's been um, general manager John Elway, his inability to identify the next franchise quarterback. And for the Giants fans, it's been Dave Gettleman's inability to, uh, you know, capitalize on some of the potential they've had and then trading away Odell Beckham Jr. And, and in general, the Giants being pretty poor the last couple of seasons. But what I yeah. would say is when you come from an organization like the Giants or the Broncos, you have higher expectations than other sides. So some of that criticism against these guys may be unfair. What I would say is this. I think that there is something about Drew Locke. Mm. I think there is something about Drew Locke and I think there is something to be said for the organizational stability. I think Vic Fangio is going to get his second year next year. And as I said, I think their defense will be better again. Mm -hmm. He already has some pieces. They don't need to fix the running game. They've already got got two really good running backs in Freeman and Philip Lindsay. They've got a good receiver in Cortland Sutton, but they could go out and add some weapons now around yeah. lock they've got the quarterback installed you flip over to new york i think there are more positions that need addressing in new york i think the de- the defense probably needs some some spots um addressed and then you look at you know on offense as well you know they, they do need some more help for barkley they do need some more stuff in the receiving game for jones i think drew lock I think I'd be most happy as a Broncos fan. I think mm-hmm. I'm with you. Now, it would probably go Broncos, Giants, Redskins for me. Yeah. I think that Daniel Jones can have a lot of success. But the coaching situation there, the fact that Pat Shermer is likely to be gone, mm. you're starting again with a new coach, whereas Drew Locke will now be in his second year working with Vic Fangio and Fangio's coaching staff, his second year in the system. Uh, I think... I think his ability to sit and watch other guys quarterback this season has been really invaluable. And I think that, you know, Daniel Jones being forced into the lineup, you know, there's, uh, I think there's positives and negatives to that. Um, mm-hmm. There you go. And, Some good uh, points there. Yeah. So that, that's where I, I, I'm with you. I, I go Locke, Jones, and then Haskins. The Haskins one though, could have major change if, the Redskins acted out of character and went and got an Urban Meyer and installed him <laughs> as the Lord of the Fiefdom. But I don't think yeah. they will. But yeah, you know, I think there's a lot to be excited for as a Broncos fan. 
Mm, I'd agree. Well, I think we've said it all, Minnesota. It's all been said. It's been a real pleasure talking to you again. It's great to get back in the studio and talk the game of pro football. I'm aiming to get back and do another podcast next week to wrap up all of the Week 17 action. And then we can rub our hands together with glee and delight because the playoffs are around the corner. And at least for yourself, we know that your team will be featuring. I think my team will be taking a January dirt nap. But I think that there's a lot to look forward to, a lot to discuss. And uh, looking forward to doing it all with you then, Minnesota Jack. It's going to be so tasty, man. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, until next time, I'll bid you adieu. All right. See you later, man. Cheers. Well, that's all we've got time for here on this episode of the JBFE. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week, undoubtedly with company from Minnesota Jack, to discuss all of the Week 17 action and look ahead to the playoff picture. If you want to follow along, give me a follow on Instagram or Facebook at the JBFE. It's the Jake Botel Football Experience. If you plug that into your search bar, you will find me. It's the football icon with the letters JBFE in it. You can also email me if you want to suggest a topic of conversation, particularly as we head into the off-season in the next couple of months. We want some more fat to chew over. You can email me at thejbfe at gmail.com. That's the word, the jbfe at gmail.com. But until I hear from you, and until you hear from me, You've been great. I've been reasonable. It's the Jake Botel Football Experience. Thanks for listening.